is and who was and who is to come, the Alpha, the Omega, our Lord Jesus Christ, my brothers and sisters. We are sick of scandals. It seems like over the past 10 years, there has been a sharp increase in the number of public scandals. Some politician somewhere is caught saying things that nobody should say. Some leader in our community or of our children is caught taking advantage of the very people they're supposed to guide and to shepherd and to lead. Some religious leader is caught saying things that indicate that they don't even believe the stuff that they're teaching other people. There has been a sharp increase in scandals, don't you think? Probably has something to do with how each of us has a recording device on us at all times. So folks are kind of more accountable for the things that they say and do when they're off the clock. But the essence of the scandals that I just mentioned are when they they cause so much offense because someone is caught being the kind of person that they say that they're not. And they're not being the kind of person that they are supposed to be. There's a disconnect there. But only Jesus can cause a scandal by being exactly the person he says he is, by doing exactly what he says he's going to do, because that's what happened in our gospel for today. Jesus has been opening people's minds. He has been teaching. I looked this up, and John chapter 6 is not the longest chapter in the Bible, and that shocked me because it's 70 whole verses 70 verses of Jesus dialoguing with people, teaching people things they had never heard before. And now we get to our lesson for today. And what's their reaction? A scandal. Jesus had opened up their minds. He had been using this image, this illustration of eating and drinking throughout John chapter 6 to illustrate the way we can relate to God by taking Jesus into ourselves through faith by making Jesus a part of us and us a part of him. And people's reaction is not, oh, that's wonderful, that's beautiful, but get out of here. That's why our lesson says, on hearing it, that is Jesus' teaching, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before. These weren't just random people that rejected Jesus and considered him scandalous. These were people that once called themselves his disciples, his followers, his students. And now there's this sudden change of heart. If that weren't bad enough, if Jesus had a PR person, an agent, Right now, they would be tearing their hair out, right? Because Jesus had just said all this very difficult stuff, and people are challenging him on it. Are you serious, Jesus? How can you say that we need to eat your flesh and drink your blood? How can you say all this stuff? And Jesus leads into it. He doubles down. He challenges them even more. He's not going to apologize for any of the teachings that he shared. He says, are you serious, guys? If this offends you, if me just talking like, I, like I'm going to talk, saying things that are true offends you, then what are you going to do when you see me do the things I came to do? 
if the way I'm speaking to you right now is scandalous to you, what's going to happen when you see me hanging on a cross, when you see me rising from the grave, and when you see me ascend into heaven? Then he goes on. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. What accounts for the change? Why were there so many disciples who now were ready to just book it and get out of town, get away from Jesus? Jesus knows exactly why. Because the flesh counts for nothing. The flesh. Your skin and muscles that cover up your bones. Jesus says this is worthless. It doesn't count for anything because where did you get it from? You inherit your flesh to your, from your parents. You owe your parents for your life, for your existence, and they owe theirs to their parents and, and so on and so forth, all the way back to the first people, Adam and Eve, the first people to ever be created, but they were the same first people to ever sin. And when they sinned, our flesh got all kinds of messed up. Now, you didn't just inherit your chromosomes from your parents that determine your eye color, your hair color, whether it's curly or straight. You inherited a sinful flesh. You inherited this ability to do nasty things, to be a nasty person. That's what you inherited. And that, Jesus says, that flesh will get you nowhere. That flesh counts for nothing. The only thing that that flesh deserves is to be punished. It's like we're trapped in a burning building, trapped in a cycle of sin and guilt and death, sin and guilt and death, and so on. And we're trapped and we're going to die. And we cannot save ourselves. Flesh can't save flesh. We need someone else to help. So Jesus shows up. And what does he bring? He brings spirit. He brings life. He brings everything we need for, for rescue and salvation. He shows up to that burning building with a hose and a ladder, and he says, I'm going to save you guys. But these people say, no, no, we don't want to be saved. Because they heard what Jesus said, and they were offended. They heard what Jesus said about no one can come to the Father except through me, and they thought, that's too exclusive. We're going we're gonna to ditch you, Jesus. They heard this stuff about how the flesh counts for nothing, how Jesus was heavily implying that you cannot save yourself by your own efforts, and they thought that was an insult to their intelligence. You mean I can't make a decision to be saved? They heard how Jesus was talking, and they said, no, nah, I'm going to pass on this not realizing they were choosing to stay in the burning building, refusing to be rescued. Now, I don't know about you, but I am not a fan of rejection. I think that's a, that's a common human thing. Whether you're asking the popular girl to prom or whether you're pitching your idea to the team at a meeting, when they reject it, it doesn't feel great. How does Jesus deal with rejection? It says, 
There are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray them. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. As much as rejection hurts, Jesus saw it coming a mile away. As terrible as it is to feel rejected, because whether you're going selling knives door to door or you're asking someone for a favor and they say no, it feels like they're rejecting a piece of you, even though they're just rejecting your proposal. Here Jesus is offering himself as the sacrifice for their salvation, and they still reject him, and Jesus knew that they would. So why, Jesus? Why go through the effort? Isn't it a waste of time to stand there and preach for 70 verses to some people that you know aren't going to listen, who you know aren't going to trust in you, who you know aren't going to believe in you? Why go through the time? In a word, you. Jesus was ready and willing to endure every offense, every scandal for you. Jesus was ready and willing to endure the greatest scandal in human history when the perfect Son of God was crucified like a criminal for you. Jesus was ready and willing to quote-unquote waste his time by holding out spirit and life even to people who would reject him because that's how great his love is. And that's the love he has for you always. You think Jesus didn't know that you were a sinner? You think Jesus couldn't see the sins you were going to commit when you were born into this world? And yet, from eternity, he had his sights set on you, on your salvation, on your forgiveness. He stopped at nothing until you were completely saved, completely forgiven, completely washed clean of everything bad you've ever done, everything bad about you. He has come to give you life, spirit. He has saved you from your own spiritual death. He has brought you to know for certain what Peter knew. After everyone has left Jesus, Jesus turns to the 12 disciples, his 12 closest friends, and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? But Simon Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Brothers and sisters, if you are looking for forgiveness, for an answer to this guilt inside your heart, there's nowhere else to go than Jesus. There's no greater forgiveness and love than that which you will find in Jesus Christ. If you are looking for belonging, for, for something to, to hold on to, look no further than Jesus because there's nowhere else to go for, than to Jesus because only through him can you come to the Father and through him you have become a child of God. If you're looking for something to hope for, some meaning that is more than just whatever this life is, which is full of suffering and stress, look no further than Jesus because there's nowhere else to go than him for the hope of eternal life, which is guaranteed to you.
But you know, doesn't Jesus show us something that we can do? Doesn't Jesus show us a way that we should approach life? Because he turned to the twelve and he spoke to them at the end of our lesson. Who was one of the twelve? Yes, Peter had this brilliant, lovely confession that has now become your confession of faith. But wasn't Judas there? Judas, whom Jesus had approached and said, come follow me, be one of my disciples, knowing full well how it would end. Judas, whom Jesus stood and taught about the, the words of spirit and life, knowing 100% what Judas was going to do, whom Jesus spent all this time investing into a relationship that he knew, because he's God, would end in betrayal. Yet he loved him, because that's Jesus. What does that say about us? Who are not God, who cannot see hearts, who have no idea who's going to believe and who's not going to, who have no idea who's going to end up betraying us in the end. What does that say about when we use the words of Christ, when we share the confession of Peter? If Jesus doesn't consider it a waste of time to stand before a mass of people, the majority of whom are going to reject him, and yet still hold out those words of life and truth, Shouldn't we consider it not a waste of time either? To witness to somebody not knowing how it's going to go? If Jesus knew that rejection was a certainty, but he still held out the promise of eternal life in his name alone, doesn't that say that maybe we shouldn't be so afraid of rejection either? If Jesus can look at someone who he knows in their heart of hearts hates his guts, and still tell them the way to be saved, doesn't that remove a couple barriers for us and the people we should listen to and witness to? Because in the end, brothers and sisters, if Jesus really is the only place to go for life and salvation, and he is, doesn't it make sense to point some others to him as well? Amen. Would you please stand?